If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor. And it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection. And I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hello there, and welcome to the Behind the Mirror podcast. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I am thrilled that you're joining us today. Today, I am digging into this topic of being real, being authentic, being vulnerable. It's what we all crave. And yet, when you live in a world filled with with fakeness and social media and a bunch of people pretending to be something they're not, it can be really challenging to step into your real, authentic self. So in this episode, I'm going to walk you through what that journey was like for me and some of the steps I took to climb out of my shell of hiding and step into the real space. I'm going to talk about what effects that had on my relationships, but also how I took comfort and courage from the model of Jesus himself, who did this so well. So It's a great topic. It's one that's near and dear to my heart, and I'm excited to share that with you. But before I dig into the episode, I have to tell you that this week has been such a gift connecting with you guys. Those of you who are inside the Facebook group, I just adore every single one of you and the conversations that come out of there and the support for each other that comes out of there is just a gift. So if you are not inside this group yet, let me extend an invitation to you because I would love to get to know you inside that group as well. You can opt in on my website, justajesusfollower.com backslash podcast backslash podcast group. Now, I have also received wonderful support from the patrons and who join and support this podcast monthly. And we have a new Patreon this month, and his name is Roy Batterham. I hope I said that correctly. I'm always so worried about saying last names. But Roy has opted to support this podcast monthly, and that is just such a gift. So Roy, thank you. If you are interested in ways that you can support this podcast, go to my website, justajesusfollower.com, and click on the button for Patreon. There are multiple levels and different ways you can support this show. And if you're benefiting from this content, I would encourage you to check that out. Another way you can support this show is by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes. I love those reviews. They encourage me and Outside of that, they also help other people find this podcast. So that is another awesome way you can support this show. And I am super thankful for all of you, for all of your support for this show, for all of your feedback on this show, and for all of the ways that you guys encourage each other and encourage those around you because of the content that happens here. So thank you all so very much. I am really excited to dig into this topic. So. Here we go.
today's episode, I am going to talk with you about being real. And this is something that has come up a lot um, throughout my life. And it's come up a lot in the Facebook group and in emails that I hear from you guys and in response to my blogs and my posts and all those things. I hear this comment a lot of, oh my gosh, you're so real. How are you able to be so transparent and authentic and real? And this is like a foreign concept to so many people. And I want to to look at that because it is a foreign concept to a lot of us, including myself. And so I want to share a little bit of my journey in being real and being completely not real because I feel like I have stepped in both places. When you grow up in church and when you grow up in places where faith is your primary focus and everything is built on your your love and your passion and your desire to serve and please God, there's not much room, at least from where I stood, I didn't see much room to be anything other than perfect. And the reason is, is because if you are not perfect, you are not welcome. If you are a little bit messy, you are a project for people. If you are a little bit too honest, a little bit too transparent, it's like, uh uh-oh, crickets in the room. No one knows how to respond to that. Why is that? I think for a long time, church history, as far as I can tell, it is deeply rooted in this idea of holiness. And when you think of the idea of holy, a lot of us think of God, right? We think of of all things pure, of all things good, what is holy, what is right. And holiness, somewhere along the line, became this idea of outward behavior. To where if your outward behavior matched a certain idea or a certain standard, that is what made you holy. And you see this all the way back in the time of the Pharisees. If we're going to go back to biblical records and biblical history, there was this religious group of people that Jesus clashed with often, and they were the Pharisees. But they were also, as far as their culture and their community was concerned, they were holy, which was why Jesus's opposition of them was so unwelcomed because Jesus was parading around as a teacher of God's law, a a religious voice. And he's telling the religious leaders that they themselves need to take a hard look in the mirror before they start calling themselves as holy. So this idea of outward behavior and outward expressed holiness has gone on the whole time. And so this Pharisee group, they had practices of very, very um, diligent behavior, of very scheduled religious, quote unquote, traditional behaviors. And if you did all of those behaviors and you did them well and you did them outwardly so that people could see, you were marked as a holy person. And so much praise and much honor and much recognition was given to those who behaved in holy ways. Now, the cool thing about Jesus was that when he showed up, he wasn't really interested in behaviors at all. 
he was interested in motives. He was interested in the intricacies of a person's heart, of their soul. And oftentimes, our behaviors don't match our inner self. A lot of us want them to, and I think a lot of us try really hard to match those two things up. And I think many of us get frustrated because we feel that tension resting in between those two things, especially when we are in a group of people where we are trying to appear holy. And this does get complicated because we believe that we are holy beings, right? Like we believe that the divine himself is with us and in us and moving through us. We believe that that inner, still, quiet, small voice in us is a holy voice. We believe that we were made in the image of a holy, good God. So for most of us, we truly do believe that we are holy. And yet we feel this tension of trying to force our outward behavior to be modified to fit that holiness. The part where the Pharisees got mixed up, and I think it's, it's worth us paying attention to, is that they weren't necessarily believing crazy things, although many of us now would probably say that they were. Um, and Jesus may have even said that, but we don't see him hitting hard at their belief systems. We, we see him more hitting hard at their falseness. You see, I don't think that their beliefs, their, um, their doctrines, if you will, their theology was of that much of a concern to Jesus because he didn't seem to tackle that all that much. I think it was their falsehood that was the problem. And when you think of falsehood, you do think of hypocritical behavior. You do think of saying one thing and doing another. You do think of of inner self not matching outward self, right? And so what Jesus continued to point out with this group of people was their, their lack of honesty. You see, he was able to pick up to peer inside of their of their motives and of their beings, of their minds and what they were thinking and dwelling on and what their hearts were really moved by, motivated by, driven by. And it didn't match what was coming out of their mouth. Jesus couldn't stand that. He called them whitewashed tombs, for God's sake. Like, he was so adamantly opposed to this idea of being false, of falsehood. I think that, unfortunately, we are very much still wrapped up in this idea of falsehood. Because for most of us, we want really, really, really hard to prove to the people around us that we are what we say we are. And if you get involved in Christian realms, there's a lot of pressure 
to show up as a good Christian guy or a good Christian girl or a good Christian parent or a good Christian leader or a good Christian writer or a good Christian business person, whatever. There is so much pressure and so much expectation put on you to show up as they expect you to show up. And I don't know that the Pharisees were living all that differently. I think that they were showing up as they thought they were expected to show up. Daring to say something against their tradition, daring to utter thoughts that would oppose what had always been done, daring to to include Daring to oppose, daring to challenge, daring to to mix it up at all, no matter what their heart felt or no matter how their mind was was beginning to to drift away from what they'd always known, they had expectations. And by God, they were going to show up exactly as they were expected to. Nowadays, I think... It may look a bit differently, but I think that that rhythm is very much the same. For me, I I remember feeling all of those same pressures. I remember especially being in the writing space and in the speaking space because, you know, you go into, into a church or you go into a, um, a meeting or a group where you're expected to present or speak or preach, and and you can kind of read the room and you can tell what's expected of you by that group of people. So you learn to adapt as a speaker. You learn to to meet the room where the room is. And sometimes that was harder to do than others because some of the rooms were were a little bit tight. And so I buttoned up and I presented in a language that I felt fit the room. Other places, it's like you could let your hair down and breathe because you knew, oh, I can I can let loose a little bit here. I can breathe. Um And in the writing space, it's tricky because when you're labeled as a Christian blogger or a Christian writer, there is a hard, hard line there of expectations that you are expected to follow. But even outside of that, I would say even just being a mom, a friend, a spouse, you were expected to say and do things a certain way. And and it's not that they were overtly pushed on you, although sometimes people do that. There's just subtle little things that that you know, ooh, this this comment wouldn't be welcome here. I remember having um a journal and which is nothing new. I've had journals all the way through, but I I would vent and scream and and cry all of my real feelings onto paper, but not onto people. And I did it onto paper because I knew the paper wouldn't judge me. I did it onto that paper because I knew I could tear it up and throw it away or burn it or get rid of it. And no one would know that Anna drops F-bombs. No one would know that Anna really felt that way in her marriage. No one would know that Anna was struggling so much as a mom. No one would have to know any of that. Because God forbid, if I exposed any of that, the room would be quiet. Or so I thought. And so I had paper that knew me better than people knew me. And when you live like that, 
it's relieving. I will say it's very therapeutic. In fact, my therapist um, pushes me constantly to get back into my journal because I stopped writing in my journal for a while. And um, she pushes me to go back there because it is cleansing. It is healing. It is very, um, it's very eye-opening to see your gut and what you really think and what you really are and what really makes you up as a human looking back at you in black and white words. I had a lot of eye-opening moments in those in those years of of journaling like that. So that was healing for sure. But outside of that journal, no one really knew me. And living like that is so lonely. And I think for a lot of us, we do this and we do it so well that we really think it's normal and there's nothing wrong with it. And so we live these lives showing up as we are expected to. We live these lives where we continue to do our very best to please those around us and honor those around us and respect those around us and blah, 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 that we just, you know, write ourselves right on out of the picture. It's just this image. And that's hard. It's hard and it's tiring. And yet so many of us do this like all the time. And truthfully, I think when you're in this rhythm, you really do believe that you're the only one that's thinking the things you're thinking. And you're really the only one who is having these like breakdowns in private and the only one like swearing up a storm inside your head while you're smiling and nodding at that person that you're supposed to be nice to. Like we think we're the only ones doing this sort of thing and that everybody else in our little sphere has it all together. But one thing I've learned over the last few years, the more open I have been and the more the more brave I've been in in pulling back the veil a little bit and being pretty raw at times and pretty transparent in my work is that there are so many people that are doing the exact same thing. There are so many people that are thinking all the thoughts I've thought all along and all of the frustrations I've had all along and all of these crazy, weird, isolating moments all along. But they were pretending too. And so nobody knew. And that's the thing is that the world is made up of human beings feeling human things with all the emotions and all the heartache and all the sorrow and all the frustrations and irritations and all of that stuff that makes you human, the world is filled with people just like you and just like me. But we've set up our culture in a way, especially with social media, oh, good God, like, talk about feeling less than and talk about feeling like you have to show up and and pretend to be something you're not. Welcome to the world Instagram and Facebook and all the things because it is a constant reminder of what you're supposed to be doing. Especially if you're in a Christian crowd because they're posting their Bible verses, they're posting their their homeschooling moments of the, of their perfect family, and they're posting all their baking stuff, and they're they're posting all their Bible verses for the day, and all of their you know inspiring things. And you're just if you're in that world, you're like, wait, what? 
I was just trying to like not kill my kids this morning and not scream at my spouse. And you're like having a Moses moment on the mountaintop there. Holy cow. I have a ways to go. (laughs) (laughs) You can feel that way. And, you know, I'm talking in past tense. I don't feel this way anymore. but, um, But I remember living like that. And I remember feeling so small. And then it's this like constant drive to catch up and constant drive to show up and constant push to be enough. It's exhausting. It really is exhausting. And so you all know by now, at some point in the game, I, I started tapping out of that because I just couldn't do all of that. And and I think in my work, somehow in my writing, I was able to be more honest. I was able to be more fluid with my thoughts. Um, in person, I would kind of clam up. But somehow in my workspace, I was able to keep chipping away at the fakeness. I was able to keep, to keep um, sloughing off all of the images that I was trying to portray and that I wanted you to believe about me. I really did want you to believe that I was like perfect in my walk with God all the time. I really wanted you to believe that I had the marriage thing figured out. I really wanted you to believe that I never yelled at my kids and that I was perfectly patient and calm and teaching them all of the spiritual ways of God all of the time of every single day. I wanted you to believe that my house was perfect and in order and clean all the time. I wanted you to believe that I was an excellent cook and a good party thrower and a good hostess. I wanted you to believe I had thousands of friends and that everybody liked me and that I was important. I wanted you to believe that I liked myself and that I was totally 100% happy and content in my skin, in my life. I wanted you to believe that I had landed in a life that I'd always dreamed of and that I was just super thrilled with everything as it was. I wanted you to believe that being a pastor was easy for me and that I never felt insecure and that I never doubted anything and that I had the answers to all the things. And I tried really hard to portray that a lot. I think a lot of us, when we do this, it's And this is something to give you some grace, and and I'm reminding myself of this to give myself some grace, too. In our society, we are people who have continued to live on in societies based on our survivalistic instincts. And so we didn't just happen to be in a world where we have electricity and where we have running water and where we have homes that are safe and where we are civilized, decent human beings to each other with laws and governments and things that keep us in order. We didn't just walk into that one day. We arrived here as a human race because of survival. We learned how to survive and and we keep adapting and we keep evolving and we keep getting better at it. 
So your instincts inside of your world, whatever your world looks like, even if it's just an online space, your survivalistic instincts are allowed because you were made with them. That's how this whole thing has continued to go. That's why we're all still alive and having children and continuing on because we're survivors. And so when we are trying really hard, like I was and like you have, to portray this picture-perfect image, or at least somewhat close to that, of what we want you to think of us, it's not because we're arrogant, prideful beings, although for some people that may be the case, but I think for a lot of us, we're just trying to survive because we know that if we don't hit the mark, what could happen? We know that community is only as thick as your value inside of it. And so if we don't cement our place in your community, we could be kicked out. And that's terrifying. Our survivalistic instincts want us to belong. Our survivalistic instincts tell us on a daily basis how to avoid pain. They tell us how to fit in. They tell us how to make sure that everything is lined up so that we're not on the outside, that we're not alone. Survivalistic instincts are not bad. They're what's made you here. It's what's kept your family line going. But there's something about survival, though, that can't be an everyday state of being. And when you find yourself constantly on the daily trying to survive, adrenaline is involved, stress hormones are involved, anxiety, worry, panic are involved, fear is involved, fight or flight kicks in, That's all out of survival, and survival is good. You need those things to kick in. If a wild bear was chasing you and your children, by God, you want adrenaline to kick in. You want anxiety and stress and fear and all those things to kick in to save you and your family, right? These are good things to have, but we're not built to carry these feelings and these these drives on a daily, minute-by-minute basis. It's not good. And eventually, it takes a toll. I learned um, a couple years ago, and this was towards the end of my marriage, I learned, and I think I've, I've hinted at this on the show, I developed chronic panic attacks, and I developed heavy anxiety, and I um, also developed um, eating issues like IBS stuff and food allergies and just a lot of things I'd never dealt with before that kind of all came crashing down on me within the same year. And, you know, you make adjustments. You you try to get more sleep. You try to eat better. I, like, had a long list of foods that I shouldn't eat because I react badly to them. I mean, just all this stuff. And I started checking things out of my life, trying to to compensate for these symptoms my body was having. And Somewhere along the line, I realized that my body was reacting to the constant state of survival I had felt in for I don't know how long. I mean, as long as I can remember. And 
our bodies can't can't survive under that weight of that kind of stress eternally. Like we just can't do it forever. And that was what awakened some really harsh, harsh reality checks for me. Because if it were up to me, it would have been way easier to have kept my head buried in the sand, believing that my marriage is really okay. My my parenting is really not as bad as I think it is. And and when I say bad as I think it is, I mean, I was parenting from a level of stress due to the stress from my marriage, due to the constantly trying to portray something to the world all the time. My, my parenting took a toll because of that. I wanted to stay in denial with all of that. I, I didn't want to, to look at that. I didn't want to believe that my panic attacks were coming from my, my rhythm in my life. I never said no. I always showed up. I never really stood up for myself. Um, I've had moments of standing up for myself. I'm kind of like a volcano in that way. I, I, I like hold out for decades and then all of a sudden, boom, Anna like speaks her mind, right? Like, but on a, but I didn't have a daily practice of, of loving myself well, being my own advocate and part of advocating for yourself and part of loving yourself well is being known for who you really are. And when you're avoiding looking at who you really are because you don't think that that person is acceptable to the people around you, well, then you don't love yourself very well because you don't want you to be you. You want you to be some other version of you, the version you put on your Facebook page or the version you put on your Instagram post or the version you show up and pretend to be at in your community. Like, you can't love yourself well when you're trying to portray yourself as something you're not. And when I started piecing this together, now granted, I had already started peeling back those layers. It was a slow, slow process for me. I was already kind of like a fourth of the way there, but I didn't want to go any further because I felt like I had just like pushed my boundaries about as far as the people in my life would let me. I, I thought, okay, they can handle this part of me, but but good Lord, no. Like if I start dropping these words in front of these people or saying my opinions on these politics or I really start opening up about my thoughts on this passage in scripture or this group of people or some of my own stories in my own closet that I don't want people to know, like if I start really unzipping my soul and exposing all that goes on inside the headspace of Anna. Yeah, no, that will get me booted out real fast. And so I felt like I had like exposed enough of myself to be somewhat authentic and somewhat real, but just not get me isolated, not get me on the outside. I liked that place because it did feel real and it did feel genuine because it was. I was really starting to learn authenticity and really starting to learn how to be vulnerable and how to be more authentic in what I said and did. And I felt that my relationships really were benefiting from that, truthfully. But it's almost like I it almost made the torment worse if that makes sense because once you crack open the door and you start letting letting it out, start letting more of your real 
self out, you kind of start to like that person. And then you really want to let that person be known and loved. I wanted to be loved for my crazy ass thoughts. I wanted to be loved for some of my opinionated beliefs. I wanted to be loved for my my language at times. <laughs> I wanted to be loved for who I really was. I wanted to be loved even in those moments when I did lose it with my kids or I did have a sassy moment with my spouse. Like I wanted to be embraced and loved for the real me. And I think that longing got the better of me, truthfully. And that tension that I talked of earlier between who I knew the world wanted me to be and who I knew I really was and clearly wasn't going to change because I'd been that way since I was born. Um, that tension got too heavy. And so the first baby steps for me was speaking up when I felt that I was not being heard. And when I felt that when I was being honest, that honesty was not being well honored. And that took flight in many different ways. It took flight in friendship. It took flight in the relationship with my immediate family. It took flight in my church community. And it took flight in my work. And it took flight in my marriage and in my parenting. And there were some losses in all of those categories, except my parenting. Ironically, I think I just now realized that truthfully, my parenting has gotten, um, really, really easy. And that's something I never thought I'd say. <laughs> when you have four kids, you don't ever think that you'd say that. And I don't want to jinx it, but but truthfully, I think I'm less high strung because I'm more real and more honest. And kids are like natural BS detectors. And so I don't know, maybe they were seeing through me before and now they're not. I don't know. But my kids have responded really well. And a lot of my um Life did change, and it was hard. But here's the thing. You're not designed to live alone. You're not designed to live in isolation. You are designed to be fully known and fully loved and fully accepted and fully embraced no matter what. That's how you're made. And this is how I know this because... Well, first of all, it's like in us, like it's packed in our DNA. But secondly, when Jesus walked this green earth with us human beings, he kind of didn't want to be around all the fake people. And when I say fake, I just mean they were they were false. The Pharisees were simply people pretending to be something that wasn't matching their insides. And Jesus did not like that. Like adamantly did not like that. But what he did like were people being real. And he was so real with them. I think about the woman at the well and how she was living this life. It was very colorful, I might add. I mean, we could like talk for days about her story, but he didn't seem 
bothered by all of the men that she had had, you know, going in and out of her life and the revolving door of marriages that she'd had and the man that she was currently with that she wasn't even married to. Like he didn't really seem to care about that behavior. He met her as a human. He respected her as a human. And I sometimes wonder, why didn't he tell her to not do that stuff anymore? Like, why did he not say to her, go and sin no more, right? Like, what was the deal with that? He was just like, well, I know your stuff. And that was about it. <laughs> like, that was about it. Um, and he extended relationship. And I just, the more I've looked at his interactions with people like that, the more I remember why I love him so much. Because, and I can't speak for you, but for me, every interaction I've ever had with God, anytime I've ever vented in my journals, all the real stuff that's floating in my head and heart, and it's out there on the on the paper staring back at me. I have never, ever, ever once felt God shame me for that or say, you better change that. You better clean that up. That's not acceptable to me. Go burn that and repent quickly and fast for three days. I mean, whatever. He never, ever responded to me that way. In fact, he never said, you better stop that. You better change that. I've not felt a condemning, go change kind of voice from God. I haven't. What I have felt is him meeting me where I am, just like he did with that, with that woman at the well. It was almost as if he was like letting her know, I see you. And it's okay. And I'm not going to treat you any differently, having seen all the stuff. And I kind of like it that you're not hiding that stuff or pretending that stuff isn't real because we both know it is. But I like you. Come follow me. I'll hang out with you. It was just so, like, not complicated. And there's so much wisdom in that, but there's also community in that. That's how community communities should be formed. That's how... That's how we all want to be loved. That's how we all want to be approached. And there are times when I have felt that check in my gut of like, mm, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. Or, oh, maybe I should change that. But it's never from like a place of shame on me. It's just like a, yeah, you know, I think I'd like myself better if I didn't participate in that or if I didn't dwell on that as much, or I didn't do this or whatever. It's always from a standpoint of becoming my best self, who I want to hang out with, like who I want to be known for. And so when I see how Jesus modeled this idea of being real, it frees me. It frees me to say, I'm not crazy for trying something new here and letting the mask down a wee bit and saying, yeah, well, this is me and I like me for me and I'm not perfect, 
But that doesn't disqualify me from community and that doesn't disqualify me from being loved and known. And equally, it doesn't disqualify other people in my life from me loving them, from me knowing them, from me seeing them. I'm not the behavior police. None of us were meant to be behavior police. Now, I suppose when you're raising kids, we all kind of feel like behavior police with that, but that's different. As grown-ups, we are not made to just shame each other. And, and I don't even mean like word shaming. I mean even behaviorally shaming. We're not meant to do that to each other. And it's no wonder that no one is real in communities because that's all that happens. Behavior, behavior, behavior. If you behave this way, you're in. If you behave that way, you're out. If you behave this way, you're holy. If you behave that way, you're unholy. If you behave this way, I'll be your friend. If you behave that way, I will not be your friend. (sighs) My gosh, we can do better. We should do better. And so I'm going to leave you with this whole idea of being real and this whole idea of Before you can be real inside of a group of people, even inside a relationship with one person, you have to be real with yourself. Our world does not set us up very well to be real with ourselves. We can create a false image of ourselves, get ourselves married to that image, and not look back. It happens. Scroll through Instagram and you will see it everywhere. You can convince yourself that the falseness is you, but this whole self-loathing thing creeps in because you know it's not really you, and then you hate the real you, and round and round you go. That's no way to live. So maybe, maybe we start with getting to know who we really are, and we decide and commit to honor who that person really is, to accept that person for who they really are, and to love and protect and advocate that person. When you start doing that, things will shift. Things might get messy. Some of the people in my life were not real happy when I started being vocal about things they were doing that was hurtful or about some of the behaviors that were happening that didn't make me feel good. And I just, you know, would have normally brushed aside and not said anything. I started speaking up for how I knew I needed to be treated and I needed to be loved. People didn't like that. Some people did, though. And those people stuck around and those people kind of like the real me the best. (laughs) They're like, oh, you were great before, but you're even better now. Like they, they love me and it frees them to be themselves. It frees them to take off their masks and it frees them to like word vomit when they need to word vomit with no judgment from me. We actually don't feel alone. When we start having relationships like that. And if you think that there is just absolutely nobody you can be real with, well, start by being real with yourself. And what you'll find is once you get to know that person, 
that person has a hard time being quiet and that person will start making appearances. And you know what? Those who don't like the real you, well, then they never really knew you and they only liked a false picture of you. And what kind of a real friendship or relationship is that? I don't have time for that anymore. I'm sorry. I'm all done. I don't have time for any of that anymore. So you be you. And the people who show up and love you as that person and the people who are attracted to that person might surprise you. My community has gotten smaller, but it's so much better. And I do grieve and miss some of my uh, friendships from before. I won't hide that from you. It, that was hard. That was hard. And there is still some holes inside of my heart for people that I loved deeply. And I was really surprised weren't able to love me well when I started being really honest. And that's hard. And in life, we're going to go through that stuff. In life, we are going to feel pain and rejection at times. But the payoff of being authentic is so worth it. It's so worth it. And before you start thinking that there's no one out there who will get you or know you or understand you, let me just say that you're wrong. (laughs) You're really, really wrong. And I promise you that there are so many people out there who need a real friend. Some of the most polished people that intimidated me that I thought, oh my gosh, like they have it so together and they really, really, really have these, you know, perfectly ordered spaces in their life and relationships in their life and structure in their life. And um, my real self would just mess all that up. And I have been so surprised that some of the people in my life who've become my dearest friends were so relieved that I gave them permission to be let down. I gave them permission to breathe and let it all out and be their real self, even if they can only be that with me. That's something we can share. And those friendships are are priceless. They really are. And I think for me personally, over the years, I think I've always done that um, for people. I think what shifted in me was I had always exposed just enough to to give someone else permission to expose. But I think the shift for me happened when I decided I was just not going to only expose a little. I was just going to let it all hang out there. And I knew it would make me different. And I knew it would make me... Um, yeah, different. That's the best word. <laughs> a misfit, an outsider, if you will. Um, but some of my dearest friends were so relieved that they had someone in their life that they could be that way with. So when you do yourself the favor and grant yourself permission to be real and to be honest and to be you, you have no idea the amount of people that you might set free around you. Walking like Jesus does not include masses of people singing your praises all the time. Jesus was real. He was authentic. 
He did not mince his words. He was not pretending to be something he wasn't. And he didn't expect other people to do that either. He loved and accepted and embraced. And the more real you were, the better. When you live like that, you may only have a little posse of 12. And out of that 12, you may only have one that you really know and you really trust. And the crowds that once sang your praises may turn around the next day and scream crucify. Living like Jesus is living real and authentic. And when you live real and authentic, you are exposed. You are not hidden. People who are fake and false, such as the Pharisees, such as many religious people, they stay hidden and that keeps them safe. The Pharisees weren't worried about being crucified. They didn't have to worry about being crucified. They weren't exposed. When you take the path of Jesus and loving and living like he did, it comes with exposure. And that exposure brings some people really close. And then it pisses a lot of people off. But either way, when you look at Jesus versus the Pharisees, who had richer friends, who had richer relationships, who had a more fulfilled life, right? Like I choose community. I choose realness. I choose that picture over the fake one any day of the week. So landing the plane, you are perfectly made exactly as you are. You don't need to change for people to love you. You don't need to pretend for people to accept you. You are worthy as you are. I hope this encourages you to take a step towards coming out of of the falsehood and into the realness and know that when you take that step, I am cheering you a thousand times. And there's a whole lot of people out there who can't wait to see you in that space too. Grace and peace. Hey there, I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.